This podcast was recorded in London on the 18th of January, 2007. Ten years ago, ten and a half years ago, uh, this evening, on May the 15th, 1996, a group of anoraks met in this uh, very premises. We're in Ian McKennell's studio in London, and uh, they met because they had a, a communal interest in digital imaging, which was an emerging technology at the time. And we've uh, arranged, by a remarkable series of coincidences, to get the same group of people back again to have a reunion ten years later and to talk about what's happened over the last ten years and what's going to happen over the next ten years. So let me just quickly whiz around the table and tell you who's here. We've got Bob Marchand, Ed Horridge, we've got Douglas Fisher, Adam Wolfett, Carl Little, uh, Martin Eating, Ian McKennell, Mike Lay, Rodwin Powell... Mike Russell and Paul Webster, and I'm Colin Thomas. Okay, let's kick off. Uh, the first question I want to ask, I'm sort of going to try and ask everybody all the questions, is what's happened in the last 10 years? What's happened to you? What's happened that surprised you about the way digital imaging has changed over the last 10 years? What happened what, in the last 10 years that you weren't surprised about? Uh, let me start with um, Adam Wolfick, because I think he'll uh, fire off the first. Mm-hmm. Adam, what's surprised you about the, the last 10 years... Uh, Frankly, what surprised me was that it took so long. Mm. I mean, we talked very confidently ten years ago on the the CD that it was going to happen, and I I confidently thought it would take four or five years. It's actually taken nine years, really. Last year, what do you mean? What's taken so long? It's taken it's taken that long for photographers to embrace it completely and invest the money in the cameras. And the cameras, surprisingly, have not come down in price as much as they ought to have done. I mean, 20,000, 20, £25,000 10 years ago was a high-end camera system. And it, it's nearly that still. You know, it's 18, 19 grand now. Mm. And I'm quite surprised that's not dropped more. The other thing that has definitely happened is that there are now what I used to <coughs> refer in a sort of hopeful way as complete walk-by cameras because you can, you can take a Canon now and make serious professional images anywhere in the world, you know, up a mountain, down a mine, whatever you want. Under the sea. Under the sea, yeah. You know, completely portable, completely self-powered, uh, very high quality, not just studio standard, but close. And that, that really was, um, Kodak was the forerunner of that. They got that right seven years ago, and now they're not making digital cameras anymore. Mm. <laughs> Anyone else surprised by how slow things have moved then digitally or how slow people have taken things up? Martin, what surprised you about what's happened over the last 10 years? Um, well, I think, unlike Adam, I think that people have actually embraced it uh, more than I thought they would have done, or rather sooner. I think that if you think back to when we had these meetings 10 years ago, we used to have to struggle to try and be accepted by people within the Association of Photographers and by our fellow colleagues, and I think I remember Mike Lay talking about how at one meeting of the Association of Photographers they seriously suggested that we should have red spots put on prints <laughs> that had been touched by the evil digital, so that you could have a chance to tell which were the pictures that had been not created by the proper method, should we say. And now, I think there are very few photographers I know who would actually have a bad word to say about digital, they're not embracing it and using it themselves. But as for things that have surprised me, I suppose... I think the type of group that we were 10 years ago, we were prepared for anything to come along. I think we were quite open for change and whatever might happen. And so 
probably the fact that things are so different and so unpredictable is probably not a surprise to us. And as for the future, um, if I think about, I'll give you an example. Um, I've been very involved in a program called Lightroom that's coming out you know, very soon. And what's interesting about it is it's using metadata to store all the image edits. And, it's, and the principle of that is not too dissimilar from live picture, which if you remember all those years ago, we were talking about live picture versus Photoshop editing and which would be the way of the future. And unfortunately, live picture met its demise. And it's quite interesting to see that now that the method of image editing that I think is probably going to be the way for the future, now that we're shooting digitally and shooting raw files, is actually, ironically enough, <coughs> back to the live picture method. <coughs> More ironically, it's Adobe who's producing the yeah. program. And it took them a, quite a struggle to actually convince people within Adobe that it was worth doing. It almost didn't make it. Mm. Who here um, thinks that uh, digital photography has been a complete advantage for photographers, that there's been no disadvantages to it? But who's taken to digital photography so that it's... Well, for me, it was, uh, it was a natural progression for... You know, I used to do a lot of darkroom work, and um, it's, with, with digital, for me, it, it meant not only getting out of the darkroom and into the open, as it were, but um, when I'm shooting, certainly when I'm doing car work, uh, it was a godsend because we could see what we were doing immediately and make changes. So, have um, you shot a roll of film since 1997? How many have you shot? Uh, well, since 97 I have, but for the, probably the last three, three and a half years, something like that, I haven't, haven't shot any film. So, um, and I shoot on the Hasselblad H1 with a P25 back at the moment, and um, you know, I, I can't fault it. It's superb. So, I can't honestly say I'd ever go back to film unless I was just playing around with. You know, sort of effects mm. that were sort of slightly uncontrollable. The predictability about digital is what's, what's good on a commercial level. What are the downsides then? We can all see, I think probably the people in this room can all see the positive sides of digital. That's why we were here in May 1996, because we already could sniff the air, you know, we knew what was coming and we were desperate to get on it. But there must be downsides that we've discovered over 10 years. I've discovered a couple. Ian? Well, I think the downside is that it's kind of commoditized photography, in that um, everybody can do it now. And I know a lot of jobs that would have been commissioned in the past are now being done by the art director, mm. or even the art director's assistant. Yeah. Or even somebody with a Samsung 10 megapixel digital phone. Or even the writing. Because I think there have been huge changes in photography. And I think the changes in digital, for me, as, as, as a kind of way of working, have been fantastic. But I think for photography in general, have kind of degraded it by an enormous level. So do you think photography, yeah, go on, Martin Wilkinson. Well, I was going to say some of the things to what Ian was saying. I mean, although I write about Photoshop and probably you know, helped a number of photographers to, to use Photoshop better, I, in the field I work in, in, in fashion and beauty, I'm dismayed by the quality of the retouching. I think the fact that so many people are using Photoshop or whatever to retouch their photographs and doing it badly doesn't necessarily mean that photography has been improved for it. So I think that the stage we're at now is not too dissimilar to where we were maybe 10 years ago when graphic designers were first, start mucking, first started mucking around with Quark Express and did terrible layouts where they're just trying to get used to the new tools. If you look at graphic design today, I think it's a much more mature, you know, much more mature skill. And I think that's where photography retouching used to go. I don't think photographers, all photographers are necessarily great retouchers. Mm -hmm. You think there's a danger, you know what they used to say about typographers in the 1970s, if you can find a typography company now, you're, 
you've struck gold, you can go and put them in the museum. And then, you know what they're saying about repro companies now, that they're going to go the same way as typography. So anybody think there's any chance that photographers are going to go the same way, that they're going to become an obsolete profession? Bob, what do you think? Not so much in terms of photographers, but in terms of repro companies. It's been a huge um, <coughs> theme of who does the repro on the colour scene. So we've been looking at it recently. There's a big question, should photographers do repro or shouldn't they? And it's kind of interesting because it's, going, going back to what we were talking about before, this thing about what we're surprised about over 10 years, what I'm surprised about is that given the huge amount of digital topics which is done nowadays, it's just how slow it's taking the industry to catch up with that and to see what the problems are and see what the issues are. They're just beginning to talk about standards. They're just beginning to talk about forming best practice guidelines, which we did back in 2000. Yeah. But since then, there's been the IQA guidelines, there's been the update, there's been um, the big press, all of those are coming out. Printers are still in the dark ages in a lot of cases. Mm. Reality is, I think, that repo companies are now honestly going to what they call asset management because they've, they've lost their particular skills. Nobody has those old skills and scanners And I think photographers, if they're wise, should also get into asset management as well because it's a, another lucrative little business. Yeah, it's interesting that I, would, I do quite, still do quite a lot of work for the Radio Times, who's like the biggest British magazine, and they're about to bring all their repro in house, everything. So they won't be using the repro company. It's interesting about it. You know what they've done? They've actually employed, well, you know, really, they've employed a company that, that supplies the paper to build profiles for their paper. But which is there used to be a time, five, six years ago, I could do a Radio Times cover. I'm absolutely certain what it would look like when it's printed. Now it's just pop up. I've got no idea what it's going to look like. And even different editions. You know, there's lots of different editions for the South, the North, everything. Each one can look completely different. So in that sense, standards, I think, have, have slipped an awful lot. Mm. There's a lot more, uh, there's a lot less precision than there used to be, I think. The repo companies would say it's because of the lack of investment by the clients, which with the magazines is really is an issue. Because I think they're pushing now to, I don't do editorial, but IPC are now pushing to pay no fees at all above mm -hmm. photography costs, I believe. Right. There's no digital production. The biggest problems have come with um, you know, lack of understanding the process. I mean, it needn't necessarily be any more expensive. It's about having the right people with the right information <coughs> to make the right decisions. And those people are scattered all over the place within the, you know, the whole process from shooting through to repro, and nobody knows who to talk to anymore. Mm. I, think, I think it's a huge polarisation. I think there, there, there's, you must work with people, and we all work with people who. who are perfectly happy to take digital files, they're perfectly happy to do retouching, they're happy to do the CMYK separations. There's not a sort of gradual move to the other side, suddenly there's a sort of barrier and nobody has anything else on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. We do with production of from agencies, magazines all the time, they haven't a clue about the reproduction process. Yeah, and I find it really surprising. Yeah. They don't want to need to. <coughs> and there's a lot of vested interests in the yeah, we're going to take a long time to know. But you know, uh, <coughs> we're talking um, sort of gone down a particular line because what's happened for for each of us in our own journey over the last ten years is we all started in pretty much the same place. You go around the table, and probably all of us were pretty much in the same in the same kind of situation, doing pretty much the same sort of work. <coughs> ten years later, we're quite we've moved quite a long way apart from each other. I haven't taken a photograph in God knows how long. Uh, and uh, I think one of the things that happened to us at that point, to photography, rather than photographers at that point, but certainly happened to us as individuals, was that we got pushed off into these different aspects of, of the business. 
Martin got... I remember Martin the first time he saw on the paint box, the Quantel paint box demonstration, and he got shown how a wig could come off a lady's head, and he watched it go across the screen and drop down onto another lady's head. And I remember the expression on his face. It was like a, a four-year-old going, I want one of those. But, you know, his career has, has kind of... Uh, been very much conditioned by what that was, and that's a different kind of strand than what you're talking about here. I mean, you know, Bob's been involved with, you know, following this line of colour management and, all, and how to go through the ripple. And Ian as well. I remember Ian arguing long ten years ago, saying CMYK only, not RGB. That was our big debate: RGB or CMYK. And Ian saying, "Oh, I do CMYK, so I can control the process." And the people say, "RGB because the photographer turns in something and then it's over to repro." Uh, and that's, that's another strand of it. For me, the bit was about digital delivery. And I think it's my particular little bit of it, but I rest my case that actually that has had the biggest impact on photographers of all. The fact that uh, it's possible to send an image from Vladivostok to London instantly with no loss has impacted enormously on the photography business and photographers and uh, has decimated the industry. Certainly decimated the bike companies. <laughs> well, but... Um, well, I, I mean, I actually think... I mean, I think ten years ago I was the only person who was shooting digitally with my Dicomed scanning bag. I think that's um, true. Yeah. And, and since then, I'm amazed that it's taken so long for everybody else to catch up, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So what, what has happened is that every agency, every design company... Every Joe Bloggs across the world has now got a digital camera and thinks they're photographers. And I think the whole photography business has actually been devalued hugely. And I'm very, very sad about mm -hmm. that. Although, having said that, there is now a sudden awakening in agencies and design groups and even clients that they can't fucking take pictures. Yeah. and that they've actually got to go back to a professional. Yeah. So slowly it's coming back to where we were that, ten years that's, ago. That's a very but close parallel to typography, isn't it? Yeah. Desktop publishing. Mm -hmm. Suddenly everybody could design a parish magazine. It was crap, but they could do it. And now, you know, going back to type looking decent on a page because people who know about typography being employed to do it. But professional typographers no longer exist, do they? There's no such thing anymore. No. Does that mean that one day professional photographers will no longer exist? No, 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 because, I mean, I, it, was our, it was our fault in a way as photographers because we never properly understood what we did and we never argued our case properly. And a lot of us, a large proportion of, uh, of professional photographers traded on the fact that they knew the, tr the craft skills and that they could get it in focus and properly exposed and, and, and processed. And that was how a lot of people earned their money just by doing that. But actually, that's not really what a photographer does. A typographer does do a technical process. Uh, a photographer does a technical process plus something else, and it's the plus something else that, that is really important to a photographer. It doesn't matter. The, tra the craft skills can go, but what a photographer does is something different. And that we have to argue. That is very important. And I don't believe that photographers, as a, as a breed, you know, the, the great the great bunch of photographers that are complaining that they haven't got any work, have really picked that up and proved 
what it is that they do that is different from somebody with a digital camera getting it correctly exposed in for... I wish I was convinced, I'm afraid. I, I think that what used to separate photographers from the rest was just not just having vision, but being able to output the vision in a way which people could use and reproduce and hang on their walls. Digital has changed that. It's made it much more easily accessible to focus, sort of contrast, sort of level. I agree. I think the, to survive as a photographer now, you have to have the skills you used to have, the digital skills, and you have to have something else. Yeah, but it was always the something else that you had. There were plenty. No, but hang on. There were plenty of photographers, in quotes, that were members of the association who actually couldn't take a photograph. That what they could do is they could they could conceive and and had great assistance. You know, and you can name those people, and they wouldn't actually. Then not because we're recording. But how are you? I think you need something else again now. I think you've also got to keep head of the pack. I think that's something else. Well, you used to have a studio with a 108 camera and a bloody great stand and fish fire and a swimming pool and all the toys and all the gizmos and people would come in and it was like magic. But they don't, you know, the magic no longer exists. Any Joe Bloggs can pick up a little camera like I've got in my hand that's 400 quid and it shoots a 10 meg picture. And they can, for most people's brochures, most people's magazines, it's fine. And that's, that, unfortunately, is the phrase that's appeared. It's fine. It's okay good enough. for the job. Good, good it's enough. Good, good enough. enough. Colour. I really need to buy those little white boxes. What little white boxes? Oh, yeah, last of all. Sorry. I think, to use an analogy, there are lots of careers, lots of jobs, if you like, that you can do as an amateur. You can decorate your front room as an amateur, or you can hire a decorator. You can do your own conveyancing if you're mad enough, or you can hire a lawyer. There's not that many jobs. Okay, you wouldn't want to do your own brain surgery. You'd probably want to hire a professional surgeon. But there's a large number of jobs that are done by professionals using equipment that anybody can use if they decide to. And photography now falls into that category, doesn't it? The technology's really become... One of the things that's also happened is that you've got an explosion in the outlets for photography because there's more instances of publishing, there's more instances of small publishing which get a big audience. So those people who want photography for websites, and websites are very powerful in the media these days, um, they're sourcing it from somewhere else. They might be sourcing it from themselves. You've got with uh, businesses taking all their um, uh, publishing management in-house, you're getting a small uh, to medium-sized business who instead of going to some specialised agency is now actually putting a manager in and he's commissioning photography and he doesn't know who to commission for photography. He goes, who are the photographers? And that's one of the challenges that, that we've got uh, some is actually realising because we did a survey last year and we asked people, where do you get your uh, photography commissions from? And only some of them were saying the traditional sources of agencies. Everybody else were going, actually, it's directly from business. It's mm. not from the original, you know, to the traditional places it used to be. And how are you doing that? And they were having to find all sorts of weedly ways to get in contact with business. And we're still trying to make this contact between business and uh, the Sun Awards. And we find it quite difficult because it's such a disparate market. You know, I used to go around with my book and I could look through 
uh, well, it wasn't far left X, but the equivalent at that time. And I could go, I want to go to that agency, that agency, that agency. A little bit of phoning around, you could actually find the people who needed to see the book, you'd go and see them, and it was a bit of a thankless task. But at the end of it, you'd get a job. Mm. And you can't do that with business because you don't know who the hell they are. Um, and I don't um, think that was particularly healthy, though. You know, I don't think. I think that was a particular thing that happened between 1965 and 1995, perhaps. You know, when Rolf Goldberg said to once to me at the AOP annual general meeting, he said, "You know, Michael, it was good when there were only ten of us, <laughs> because then we had everything, and all that's happened is more and more have come." and doing exactly the same thing, going around the same group of people. And inevitably, there's going to be less and less work. And eventually, you know, when agency work starts to die down, as it has, I mean, the problem is not just that the photographers can't get employed, but there's not the jobs there anymore in the agencies that there used to be. Television's got cheaper and cheaper. Mom-and-pop stores can advertise on national television, you know, through one of the 583 channels that are coming into everybody's home. They don't need to advertise uh, in, the, in the press anymore. And those, those kind of jobs are disappearing. So just going round the agencies again on this endless round, which people still are, that's the thing I'm slightly surprised about, that actually more photographers haven't cottoned on to where the market is, that they're still doing exactly the same thing that they were doing 10, 20, 30 years ago, going around the agency, seeing the art director, showing their books, when there's this whole new, huge market for photography out there that's, that's w willing to buy. Direct to client. Direct to client. And that can be person to, per, you know, to a, an individual person, or to and a business, or to a web designer, or whatever. Is this something that's come about because of the changes in technology that we were sitting around with our anorex on, talking about 10 years ago? Is, that, is it the technology only that's changed that? You know, the whole world picture's changed, doesn't it? Well, I was going to talk about, I mean, Mike's talking about dilution. And, and dilution is, kind of, is, a, is a huge thing, particularly the picture libraries. There's more and more and more images come online. And there's not necessarily more and more and more money. So each image you have will gradually earn less and less and less. I mean, if I had the number of images I've got in a picture library now, 10 years ago, I'd have been a multimillionaire. Whereas now, I am pretty much what I did six years ago with almost 10 times the number of images. So you're saying you've got to run faster to stay in the same place? Yeah, because there's a hell of a lot more people out there doing it. Where does um, the competition come from? Sorry? Where does the main competition come from? Well, for, I mean, I'm, I'm with Alan, for example, you're competing with amateurs. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I think the thing that Leslie is mentioning is that horrible spider out there, the web. Because it's, it's, I mean, Adam and I went to a meeting in Birmingham was it last Sunday or the Sunday before? The Sunday before last. This is the, the Association Library Working Group and talking about selling images on the web. And Jonathan Trapman was there talking to us all selling an American program to sell on the web. It doesn't matter what the hell you sell, but it's teaching you to sell on the web. And the one thing that, as photographers, we've got to do, and it's nothing to do with specifically the digital revolution, but it is the computer revolution, is that the web... <coughs> Ian's talking about pictures. There's so many pictures available on learning. There's so many pictures available on the web. There are billions, not millions, there are billions of pictures available on the web. The old picture market, Getty, Corbis, you name it, they're all, they're all in deep, deep shit. Completely swamped. Because, because 
There are so many pictures there. Yeah. Well, I had a story about a couple of a couple of years ago when I was over at a conference in America, where some guy said that I think around 1994 they did an estimate that there was a figure of something like two billion photographs were taken around the world. They they calculated somehow from the sales of film stock and the few people shooting digital that two billion pictures were taken that year. And then ten years later, in 2004, there were half a billion pictures uploaded to eBay alone which gave you some sort of sense of the scale, the ubiquity of digital imaging and the fact that now with really good quality camera phones that you get, that everybody can take a photograph and people are taking lots and lots more pictures. doesn't mean they're taking great pictures. I think a lot of people are just taking good pictures and having fun with it. And as Ian just pointed out, they're putting them up onto Flickr and other sites and trying to, or Alamy, and trying to sell them. But the way, it, that's what I was trying to say about, you know, the way that, 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 that the delivery has made such a difference. In the old days, it just wasn't worth sending somebody around all the picture libraries and then hoping you would find a picture. Now, when you've got everything online, you can look at the, the picture libraries of the world, and in a very short amount of time, you'll find what it is that you want. And in the old days, you would commission a photographer rather than make that search. You know, you wanted a beautiful, uh, a beautiful landscape for the front cover of your annual report. You would go to a beautiful landscape photographer who knew how to get results. You'd commission them to go out, and they would come back with a beautiful landscape photograph for you. You'd go, that's excellent, thank you. And you'd pay, I don't know, 1,200 a day for them doing it. Now, you go to a picture library. You've got... 1,500 picture libraries to choose through, and each of those has got thousands of of the most beautiful landscapes, landscapes. taken at the most propitious time, and that could be the moment of chance for an amateur that got a brilliant shot. The difference was that the professional that you paid would guarantee to get it back to you within two weeks. Now with the picture library, you can get it back within 24 hours, but the pictures have been taken over years and years and years. Quality isn't guaranteed either, that's the other trouble. You know, with a professional, you're guaranteed the quality that you're after. You know, with the market as it is now, it's a bit of top luck. You hey. might find the perfect it's the availability. But it's only a JPEG. Of, yeah. Yeah. But it's the availability. You know, I, I don't know if you can do this now, but I mean, you could probably use something like Google Earth to go and find somewhere, some location that you're interested in. You could input the GPS coordinates, go to a library, and suddenly pop up with all the photographs that were taken around specific locations. So if you were searching for something, you could actually find a specific image. I mean, the ability to do that is quite amazing even now, just to think about it. And it reminds me that 10 years ago, I think, Mike, you were actually telling us how to use email. You were telling us how to mention our email addresses properly and saying, yeah. you know, you guys really ought to all be on email because it would make it so much easier for us to communicate. I think that was probably the, I wanted the biggest to read, I wanted to read something to you, actually. I brought it along, especially, to, you know, it'll go down very badly with all you guys because it's Bill Gates, so, you know, it's the devil incarnate. But this is from the end of, this is from the uh, beginning of 1994 about Microsoft's website. Okay, so this shows you, we were, we're talking about 1996. So this is two years before the Digital Imaging Group was formed. In uh, the end of 1994, we were, not f we were not focused on the internet. It was a fifth or sixth priority. Our new Microsoft internet site consisted of three machines on an eight-foot folding table in the hallway with handwritten instructions on how to connect to the internet. The yellow network cable for the internet tap, which we'd wheedled from our corporate IT group, ran out of the office over the wall to the machine in the hall. Four power strips bridged the outlet from another person's office to power all the equipment on the table, and duct tape held all the cords in place. It wasn't long before a fire marshal showed up, intent on shutting down Microsoft's site as a fire hazard. 
A week's reprieve enabled us to transfer the machines to our corporate IT facility, where we began to transform our fledgling internet support into a full-blown corporate programme. That was two years before Digital Morning Group started, and that you know, was just unbelievable. So just to a point which I will go back on about the internet and the images, is that the whole library thing is still based on the premise that you're looking for an image which already exists. Not a lot of us, but many of us still work on the basis of the products we photographed. And that's what keeps us in business, as well as the new product, new products. The thing that's the big question for a lot of us is CGI, and I'm sure that Doug... Mm. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to bring it up to <laughs> um, I mean, it is, it is something that is eating into you know, all of our businesses in some form or other because what's happening, we're, we're in this technology revolution where the, the kind of young kids getting hold of the technology are far more au fait with it and they're able to deal with it much quicker than maybe we are. So where we were talking earlier on about um, you know, low-end digital cameras taking some of the photographic market, I mean, that's happening with CG work, where the, you know, the young kids getting involved with it are creating some amazing work that, that are getting into the hands of the commissioners who then say, well, we don't need to photograph it anymore. <laughs> and Doug, you ought to explain just a little bit about that for those who don't well, know what, you talk about. Yeah, I mean, what the, you're talking about. Yeah, CG basically... Um, the biggest impact at the moment is with car manufacturers, and car manufacturers develop all of their products primarily with CAD data on a computer. Once they've got that CAD data, they then um, can tool up the machinery to make that product. Um, so you're talking about the CAD data being available way before the product actually comes off the production line. That data's been sitting around for a long time doing virtually nothing apart from the design students in the design uh, departments in these companies playing around with it and developing you know, fantastic vehicles but not being able to do anything with them. So as the technology has gone, uh, moved on much further, they are now adopting photorealistic rendering um, solutions. You know, maybe a year ago you're having to throw hardware at it to render um, and literally you know, I've brought something along today that, that you guys can have a look at. Um, which will literally revolutionise this area of work and it's uh, well, I'll let you draw your own conclusions from it because it's you either embrace it if you're in that area of work, automated photography um, or you don't and if you don't that area of photography will be taken away by the clients How are you going to embrace it then Dougie? Because that's the area you're in, isn't it? I mean, well, this affects it you as He's almost quicker than any of us. able to bring it along tonight. At the end of the day, I think you can't, you can't run away from technology. You know, it will always be there. And the, the problem with it is, is it, it's evolving quicker than we are. As image makers, it's evolving you know, twice as fast as we're able to grasp it. And it literally, I mean, it proved to me over the last few months that overnight a new bit of software can come, up, come out and literally change the face of how you can work. And it only takes something like that to come out. You can't imagine maybe what is around the corner, but if something comes up around the corner that enables you to do what you maybe in your worst nightmares or your most amazing dreams allows you to do, then how will that affect your work? 
This is just a rerun of history, though, isn't it? This is, this is how photography replaced representational painting. And what's yeah. going to happen is this is going to replace <coughs> representational photography. The problem is it's happening over, like, six months, mm. 12 months, two years, yeah. rather than, like, say, 20 years. Or that's you know, true. That's yeah. the so if you think in 10 years' time, if you think in 10 years' time we'll have this meeting again, we'll all be really ancient by then, well, the Zimmer <laughs> Franks will be in the dawn. But we'll come in here, and I'll put up a hand and say, who's still using a camera? Mm. And about two of us, oh, I used one, but I threw it away three years ago. No, I don't use cameras anymore. They're obsolete. Do you think that's what's going to happen? Can I say something? Because I want to put this on record. That uh, I'm not talking about myself here. I'm going to talk about all the rest of you. It's interesting that we 14 who sat in this same thing 10 years ago are still heading up the various things that are going on. Uh, Martin's writing books to tell everybody how to use Photoshop. Bob's developing uh, you know, colour management practice. Uh, along comes this amazing thing that we're about to see, which is going to revolutionise our life from here. All of the people who are here who were looking for those challenges 14 years ago are still, uh, 10 years ago, are still moving for the challenges now. So in 10 years' time, I think, you know, if we film this and record this, whatever, I think we'll all sit here and look at it just like we do what we did 10 years ago and go, hmm, it's quite interesting, isn't it, what we were doing? But and do we'll be talking then about the yeah. things that are going forward from that point. But do you think we'll be further away from photography? I, I in think some respects, yes, yeah. because I, I, I worked with Kevin Calvert a while back and the nearest we came was that the backgrounds were created by CGI and I put three tractors, Massey Ferguson as it then was, into a moonscape, right? Now he's getting the cars as CGI yeah. and um, just literally looking through some of his back numbers. Location, right? well, <laughs> well, <laughs> seriously, some of the photography is being shot just as backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I mean, the thing about the, to the, the photography aspect of it, uh, the way things are working at the moment is that with good 3D work, you still need to capture environmental data to make um, your CG work look photographic. So in other words, you're capturing lighting information and shadow information, colours from the environment you're in. You still need to do that photographically. You need to do that using high dynamic range images. But at the same time, the creative aspect of it is being taken away from the field and back into the studio on a, on a computer, basically. Um, so. It's, it's kind of, it's taking photography into like more of a technical exercise of capturing information on location and then bringing background plates, which obviously you shoot on location as well, onto the system and then combining the two aspects of CG and photography. See, this is the thing that I, I feel is, 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 the, is what I was talking about before, the, the bit that we do, the, traits, the, the, the craft skills have changed. You know, we don't do what we used to do. We don't do E6 and take it down the lab and do all that kind of stuff. But actually, at the end of the day, you sitting there and doing something on CG and producing a wonderful car photograph, it's not any different, really, than what you used to do. It's still the same bug that's sitting there yeah. doing the same job. But would you say that's a photographer or a painter? No, I, think, I mean, I do a lot of photography that doesn't involve any photography whatsoever. But I know that the skills that I learned working in the studio of how to light things mm. make a huge difference when it comes to working in 3D. Because it's like a virtual studio and you can just move the lights around. Mm. So now you can put the light right in front of the lens and you can't just see it. You're still painting I with light. Ah, photographos. Exactly. Is it that in 10 years' time, I mean, I've always had this argument over the years with, with students 
these colleges or whatever, is photography art? Mm-hmm. And I've always said, no, it's a technique. It's a professional technique. But I think now the business has changed. And I think either we're going to be, in the nicest possible way, Dougie, yeah. technicians, or we're going to be artists. And I think, no, I think, I think I'm not sure. No, I don't make that division at all. I think the artists will become better technicians because the technologies will have advanced so far. And what Dougie's talking about is a, is a technology that needs a huge amount of learning and mastery and so on. But the end result is still a vision. Somebody's yeah. got a vision of this Mercedes car and a moonscape, whatever. Somebody's got to put it together. So you've yes. got an artist using very advanced technologies. The thing about the technology is it's becoming more usable every day. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we're going down this CG route is, is purely because the bean counters at the top of these big corporate companies realise that they can do something with that cap data that was sitting on their system mm-hmm. doing nothing. No, I don't agree with that, Doug. It, Bill Gates says this in, in this book, exactly the, same, exactly the same point, and it's very, very interesting. Uh, there isn't, there isn't, there isn't uh, an imperative within companies to get product to market faster and faster and faster to beat the competition. No, but it is about profit margins. No, no but wait. He says that there's, there was a, there's an, an issue arose at Compact Computers, he's talking at the end of the 90s, where their speed of getting a product to market was four months, but their marketing data cycle was six months. So they, it was the, the, the machine had gone out of production yeah. before they'd properly got the marketing data. They, were, they didn't have the brochures ready before the thing had gone out of date. And, you know, we can understand that sort of... Uh, yeah. and, and that's the thing. I mean, how, you can't wait anymore for a car to go into metal before you've done the brochures. Yeah, but what, what you can do now is you can develop that car to a point of virtual completion, get the market feedback... And if it doesn't, if it's not right, you've not got the right feedback. Junk it! Exactly. So you haven't actually... Yeah, exactly. Isn't that great? This is the thing. I mean... Who wants crap cars running around? It saves, you know, automobile companies millions. But that's the knock-on effect. I mean, agencies are having... I don't know how you find this, Carl, but they're having pressure put on them by the manufacturers to go down a CG route because they've already encompassed the CG route. Agencies are resisting because they don't want to go down that route. It's you know it's not what they do, but you know the the guys counting the beans at Mercedes or at Ford can see that you know the benefits of it. It's not just automotive either. I know, I know yeah. that well, you know it's photography where, where, where Lego was a major pioneer. Yeah. They've got mm. the same route, just yeah. it's not building bricks. But the, the scariest thing with all of this is you know Ian was saying about. Um, you know, setting up these virtual studios and that is once you've done that, say I as a photographer go into a virtual studio, set up the lighting for this particular product, it's saved as a file. There you go, Doug Fisher's set up, thanks very much. It's not something that previously in days gone by would go in, set the studio up, break it down. You might have an assistant there making a few notes going, oh, how do you do how do you do that? Now it's saved as a file that someone else can use if you don't keep hold of that data. You know, so you've got one bottle shop maybe that you set up, it looks great. The client goes, well, we need another bottle, the next generation of bottle, they just stick it in the same setup. Are you needed again? That's the scary part of what's going on. You're talking about the high end with CGI at the moment. Mm. Particularly in the automotive industry, I can understand how those 
computer designs exist on the manufacturer's yeah. systems already and how they can be adapted to turn them into realistic photo images. But how is it going to affect, say, there's another area which photo uh, libraries have never managed to hit, which is the fashion business. How is CGI going to affect the fashion photography industry? Are we going to wait until Hollywood comes up with a virtual actor? How long well, is that going to be? You know, it's happening. It's uh, happening. No, it's already yeah, happening. I've it, seen that film, but it's it, terrible. It, it, yeah, yeah, no, but it, the, the problem is you talk about CGI and you talk about what it can do and what it can't do. And in actual fact, any product, anything, any person can be created now. So in 10 years' time, how much is it going to cost to produce the same thing. It's going to cost as much as a bloody mobile phone costs now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to be nothing. So everybody will have a CGI program. Music for And the only thing that will make it different is, as I said originally, either you have a technician or you have an artist. I don't, actually, I don't, I don't, I don't take this because, because what we have always been as photographers is always, we've always been the both. We've always been technicians and artists at the same time because we've had to deal with those, you know, you know, depth of field, depth of focus, you know, lenses. You know, the shine flugger rule, goodness <laughs> sake, you know. We've all had to deal with those and so that's made us technicians. We were technicians and in a way it's quite nice perhaps to have some of those bits taken away. They did get in the way of, of, the, of the more creative bits. But that little other bit, that bit that we brought to it, that's what we brought to it. That's the artistry bit. That's the thing. Whether you, what tool you happen to use is, to me, is, a, is, is just a matter of choice. Well, here's yeah. the thing, Mark. One of the things that I've noticed since I got hold of a decent <coughs> digital SLR is the number of photographs that I take and also the amount of sheer enjoyment I get out of taking pictures in ways that I really didn't take a lot of photographs in the days of film. When I used to go travelling around the States or wherever I went, I would take you know, like a brick of films with me and I would very cautiously shoot, you know, a few frames of everything I went to. I wouldn't shoot too much because I knew I had to go and pay for the easy processing when I got back. But I used to <laughs> shoot maybe like sort of ten rolls of film on a lo on the location and now when I go away, you know, I shoot loads more photographs <coughs> when I work yeah. digitally. And I take probably better pictures, more usable pictures, more easily archived mm -hmm. photographs. I mean I found that there's been a real revolution in actually just enjoying photography for fun. Yeah. Didn't mind the work. I actually just enjoy taking pictures. And I just wondered that's the same experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a scrapbook thing which gets me with this thing. You know, it's a scrapbook. You can go, you can get stuff, but sometimes you just use it straight from here. It's that idea of wherever you are, anytime you can just get that image in and feed it back. Yeah. Into and we have to say that's that's replicated all down the line, down to the to the to the amateurs. You know, who are box. getting better results than they've ever had before. That Kodak moment. You know, the box brownie has been delivered to people in their hands with an enormous amount of power to get. Good usable results, not the kind of cam not the kind of pictures perhaps that would make us any money. That's, that's interesting because we talk about technology not replacing us, but the fact is that now you can take one of these cameras, you can switch the flash off and shoot in very low light level conditions to get some fantastic results. Something which was the was, was our professional area at most of the time, but amateurs couldn't do that dark stuff. And it, it is opening it up. I, I still think that to to, to succeed. Professionally, not just artistically. I think you set up something else. I went. To, I went to to a, to a, a lecture that uh, Donovan did once at the uh, at the Barbican, and it was full of uh, amateurs coming along to hear the great master speak and to get all the words of advice. And somebody asked him about how, you know how to take a great photograph and lighting, and he said, "Okay, there's two sorts of lighting. 
the sun is out or the sun is behind the clouds. You've got soft lighting or you've got harsh lighting. Now the only other thing that you need to worry about is where to put the light. Now talking about models, and you know that that is where to put the light. You said that you know anybody can get those results and it's all built into the camera. No, it isn't, because you can't actually do what we did with one of these. It's not possible to do it. You need that understanding of where to put the light. And, and I, can I can help you learn that. I can show you how to do that. I can teach like a teacher could to, to any amateur with a camera like this. But I can't make you understand how it works. But the answer, the answer to that is, is, is Bookbinder did a lecture when I was at college, which was back in the, just before they stopped using cameras for lighting. He did a thing where he said, what you do with still life is you get the thing you're going to photograph first. That's the most important thing. You find the surface you're going to put it on. You sit there and you make the composition. Then you get your light and you light it. Then you get the camera. You put the camera on the tripod, but don't point it at the thing you just put on the table. Look through the camera. It's a damn subtle interest in what you just put on the table. <laughs> and, that, and that's what this is about. It's just bang, 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 bang. bang. You get and in. you know, what's in that is a really interesting thing, which I think is, uh, is, is the real problem with all of this. I, I remember when I, I did a... I didn't go to college, but I did a night course uh, in photography at Paddington Tech, and there was a guy there who was t teaching us processing, and he said that he set up this thing for the uh, army on Dartmoor, and uh, the water and everything was filthy on Dartmoor. Uh, a processing line for black and white film, endlessly for gunnery targets or something. And uh, they couldn't get uh, results that were always the same. They'd got everything absolutely to the, to the finest degree of filtration on the water. They were the finest MOD chemicals, you know, specification of the highest. But they couldn't get this uh, system to be solid and just to be continuous and always produce great results. Until one day he just, out of desperation, just threw a bunch of crap into the, into the system. And from that point on it worked and his results were always to put in this kind of bunch of crap into the process because he said what it, what it did, this is a chemist speaking, this is not an artist speaking, he said what it did was sufficiently destabilise the system, put enough dirt into the system so that the, so that the system would work and it needs dirt in the system to make things work. And this seems to me to be that random chance that you get by, just as you say with bookbinder, pointing in the opposite, suddenly you find something more interesting than what you set up in the first place, that is going to be missing when everything is completely controllable. Perhaps that random chance, that moment of magic that happens, that's the worry, I think. Yeah, but the photographer sees those magic moments. He, looks with, he or she looks at uh, the scene and sees something that the average person with his point and shoot doesn't see. Yeah. I took a group of kids out um, who were 16 and they were studying photography and we walked around studying the source of the River Lee. Right? And <coughs> as we were walking around, I saw a park bench which was absolutely littered with fallen apples. Right? And all around it were fallen apples. And I thought, great. And I took some shots. And I walked 100 yards ahead, caught up with the kids, and I asked them whether they'd uh, seen them. They hadn't even seen them, for God's sake. Right? And that's the difference between us. Right? We've studied lighting. We've studied other people's photography. We've put some flair into what's there. And Bob's saying there's something else. All of us have got that little something else. And if we learn what that something else is that sells, 
will still be around in 10 years' time to talk about. Some people are tapping into this. Some people are tapping into this. I mean, the, 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 the business about taking millions of photographs and different cameras uh, is, is akin to the, the infinite number of monkeys in the typewriter. Yes, So now what you have is something, this thing called crowdsourcing, uh, where people invite people to send in photographs they've taken on the basis that 99 point recurring percent of these things will be rubbish, the odd one's going to be very good. And I've ignored most of the stuff to do with picture libraries and microsites and the rest of it. It didn't infringe on my business at all. Except that now advertising agencies are doing this. They're, putting, they're, they're creating sites where they put the brief from the client online <laughs> and they invite people to send in ideas, photographs, or even 20-second videos. Mm. And if they like them, uh, they will run these as part of the advertising material. Um, for they pay you for no fee. No sign away your rights. And you sign away your rights. It's another copyright grab, and this is going on a lot. And one of the agencies is doing is a mammoth agency. I mean, you know, yeah, I don't think can, we? can we? Well, we probably can. Depends if you want. It's the big what idea, though. It is the big what idea, indeed. You've got it exactly. That's one of the ones that's doing it, uh, which is absolutely disgrace. And uh, it is. It is on the basis that if you produce enough material, most of it is going to be rubbish, but some of it will actually fulfil the brief. Well, so they get to no monkeys have produced Shakespeare. You know, I, no, but, no but an awful lot of monkeys. <laughs> have, an awful lot of monkeys have produced advertising for this particular. Age, <laughs> um, yeah, but they were paid. That was the old days. Yeah, well, no, no, yeah, no, no. I mean, the new stuff is actually is actually working. It's being requested, and it's it's a sort of frightening development, really. I think. What? Uh, okay, we talked a bit about what's happened in the last ten years. What should happen in the next ten years in digital imagery? What do we desperately want? We knew what we wanted in 1996. We desperately wanted a camera that would take a decent picture. We desperately wanted a, a way to manage the colour of our pictures so it didn't get completely cocked up somewhere down the line. We desperately wanted a way to deliver them. And I think most of these things have come to pass one way or the other. So some heads What do we need now? Then? Do we still need those same things? What do you need out of digital imaging, Carl? You have I think what's missing out I of it? I think this is an unanswerable question because... Everyone now is aware and using the digital media, and it depends very much on what the market does. And I don't think any of us have any control of that. I think what we need to do is move with it, try and stay with it. And I think if we all retain an amount of passion in photography, like that first moment we've seen our first black and white picture being developed, if we can keep that and try and see that is a vision of photography, and use the skills that Dougie's talking about, particularly in our automotive industry, then I think that's the only way to go forward, in my view. I don't think there's an answer to that question. Maybe other people will agree or disagree. We have to keep learning. Well, Seriously. Yeah. I, I think what we want is to be able to still remain passionate about it. That's, that's the, if that goes, then... Yes, but it's passion. You see, to me, it's like... It's, this is... This is it's this bit, this little golden seed, the holy grail, if you like, that is behind all of this, that we have to hold on to. That's the bit. We're talking about how to protect that bit, which is something that we can all understand. We, can all, we, we all know what it is. We can all talk about it. We don't have to feel ashamed of that. You know, this digital imaging group was set up because Adam and I both felt, but had both felt that it was impossible to talk about our these secret things. We, we, I described it to Adam as like being gay in the 50s. That you had to go somewhere private to talk about your proclivities. And you had to use a special language because otherwise people would, would, would be horrible to you. 
and uh, and that was how the digital imaging group set closet up. But it was closet photography. We managed to get together a group of like-minded individuals uh, to, to to talk about those things. But that was only just about making that jump forward. We never thought that what was underneath it, what we were, what was essential to us as photographers, creators, was going to. That wasn't that wasn't the issue. We were talking about how to take the tools forward only. It was like, you know, uh, when they had the red flag in front of the cars. You know, it was how to make that jump forward, which had to happen. Um, You see, I I think that for a hundred, well, for a hundred years, photography hid behind the red flag in front of the motor car. They said, this is an arcane process, you don't understand it. You know, look at the back of the camera, the picture's upside down. My God, it's in colour, you know. And we hid behind this mystique. Well, the mystique has been completely fucked over by the fact that anyone can get a 7 megapixel camera phone now, and everybody who gets a 7 megapixel camera might have the same spark inside them that we've got. That's the thing. Now, why shouldn't they employ it? And also, people who hid behind the red flag may never have had that spark, and unfortunately, they're going to the wall. And I'm sorry, I can't help you on that. That's the march of progress. And if you were a crap photographer who was getting by because you knew how to process, knew how to focus, and you know knew what f-stops were, I can't help that because that's not what it was about. Sure. And the, I think I think the thing is, I'm not, I'm not great in technique as being a way to study work all the time. I think that there's more to it than just I shoot for red. But I think that to get that advantage all the time is you've got to immerse yourself in the medium, whatever it is, if it was black and white film and processing, but now it's digital. And then to learn to turn it on its head and to find the bits where nobody else has used it before. We're doing some stuff now with camera profiles, we're just building different profiles for stock which has never existed as well as stock that has existed. And every day is really interesting. Every day you go in, it's something new to try. And, and the only way you can do it is to immerse yourself in it entirely. Mm. The danger, I think, with a lot of guys now is it's, you don't get immersed in the technology and you pick the camera up and point and you shoot. And that's what should separate us, is the fact that it's not the anorak thing, it's just being so passionate about the medium itself that you mm. learn aspects of it which nobody else can do. And I don't actually, uh, to be uh, excuse me, uh, I mean, I, I, I've diverted off more than all of you because all of you are taking pictures or making pictures every day and I make pictures in a very odd kind of way, if you know. And, uh, suppose I make pictures on the screen to some extent, uh, but I went through a process today with a client which is actually not very different than what I used to do when I would go and see an annual report client and sit down with them and go, what are we trying to do, how are we going to do it, and I'll go back and put something together that will come up on a screen and have colours and stuff in it and will represent <coughs> their product and their, it's, it's, it's not really, it's the creativity, it's the creativity bit that's, that's the, the, the golden seed. That's the bit that we're talking about. How you do it now doesn't, it's, it's irrelevant to me whether you coat your plates with collodion or you, you do it with uh, digital imaging or you do it whatever. The problem was that we were blocked at a certain point in time by a lot of people holding on to those trade skills and saying, we're not prepared to give these up. And, you know, you asked before if you were surprised by anything or, you know, what you thought... Um, uh, you know what, what surprised you about the change? One of the surprises that I have found is that the very people who forced us to produce the digital imaging group because they pushed us into a corner are so um, uh, so 
have no guilt about now adopting it. You know, it's like uh, they, they, they called us pufters because we were gay, but now they've all gone bent. <laughs> The first, the first digital radio Times could ride, which I think was about 94, 95, um, actually brought the record house out on strike. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> That's some close phone. What was in there? That in 10 years' time, instead of a camera phone or a camera in your hand, you'll actually be able to have a pair of glasses on your head and, and do the Cartier-Bresson. It'll be that moment. Actually, they'll just yeah. give you'll blink and you'll think, that's the that moment. And it'll be, I mean, it's, it's technologically possible. Well, that's what I'm, now. You know, I'm always thinking, if only I had my camera. Yeah, and I, I, I spend my life thinking. I mean, I bought this camera so I could stick it in my pocket. Mm -hmm. But if I had a camera that was there and I could blink, you know, and my brain said, oh, right, snap it. But, but, but this, this, this is where to, to introduce the uh, John Blakemore um, little story, which was, and uh, uh, for those of you who didn't know the way John Blakemore works, he was a landscape photographer, and he worked on a 5-4, and he was very much into meditation. And uh, somebody said to him, John, what happens if you're going out into the countryside? And what he used to do was he used to set up and he used to meditate for 10 minutes with his eyes closed before he'd take any picture at all. And uh, they, they said, John, what happens if you hear while you're meditating, you've got your eyes closed, you recognise the sound of a bird of paradise, and you know that's going to be the most beautiful bird you've ever seen, and you really are torn because you feel you should break off your meditation and photograph it. Do you break off your meditation and photograph this bird, or do you carry on and aim to make this perfect photograph that you'd aimed when you started meditating? John said, well, really, you have to ask yourself the question, are you enjoying the moment when you hear the bird of paradise, and is it going to be lost by the time you've changed your setup and attempted to capture this thing? Or, and are you going to enjoy that perfect photograph by carrying on meditating? and making that photograph and enjoying just the sound of the bird for what it was. And that's the question you have to ask. So can you go around photographing everything? No, I don't think you can go around photographing everything. It's like Rob was saying earlier on. We photograph things because we're visually literate. We're prepared to photograph things. Amateurs sometimes are unaware that they're prepared, but they prepare themselves in some sort of way, but they're not trained to be aware of it. And Sometimes they just strike lucky. And because of the proliferation of photography on camera phones, everything like that, you're bound to get lots of photographs. You know, if you put yourself in the right place and you're in that frame of mind, you know you've got the camera phone in your pocket and you can just whiz it out and it's going to do that really good night photography. You're going to get <coughs> something. So, you know, it's the visual literacy. And I think this is where photographers have to look at themselves and, I mean, it's been hinted at around the table this evening, to, to let go of that technical uh, history that they've got and to start embracing the skills that they've got as being visually literate, becoming this hybrid artist, which I think is what we're becoming with the CG and everything else. Like that. But you don't have to let go of anything, though. Right? That's the whole point. That w w what we've seen and what we've done before us helps us to see 
better images in the future or different images. The type of uh, shot you found interesting ten years ago is different from the shot you find interesting today. And going to your John Blakemore thing, what would I do? I've got a classic mistake. I was listening to a beautiful piece of music in the car and there was a lovely landscape over there and I decided I'd listen to the end of the track. Now I know that that was a bloody great mistake because seconds later <coughs> that image was gone, right? And that was just because the lighting was right. I had the camera there, I could have taken that picture and I'd have had it now to show you. As it is, I lost it. So the answer is you've got to have your eye and you've got to be alert. Okay, I'm going to wind up in a minute. Martin, it's just something. I, I mean, I, I think it's been great that we talk about how we're, we're loving doing photography and how important that part is. But on the technical side, I think what I've noticed in particular is that the tools which are around today and the software and the hardware enables us to take technically very fine images. And I find that there are a lot of people who are reaching a high tide watermark in terms of how much knowledge that they want to absorb about the technicalities and are quite happy doing things the way they were doing them maybe five years ago. So to a certain extent, amongst the digital aficionados that we're mixing with now, they're a little bit like the... Uh, film photographers who swore they'd never go digital before, I think that part of the responsibility for that is to do with the complexity of the software. And when you look at the software that's around today, sometimes the problem with it is just too damn complex. There are too many different ways of doing the same thing. And you said, what could make things better in 10 years' time? I think it would be more sensible, more intuitive software that actually lets you be in control as an artist and do what you want to do. Because at the moment, the technologies are there to do great things, and I think that something like only 10% of it is being used sometimes. Well, look, I'm going to wind up. I'm going to do two quick straw poll questions here to finish off with. Who here is still optimistic about digital imaging? What do you mean by digital imaging, then? What do you mean by optimistic about the industry? Yeah, who still thinks... Yeah, who still thinks in 10 years' time they're still going to be in this business making pictures well, can I, using digital technology? I, can I just say, I, want, yeah. I wanted to put one point into this, which is that we've talked about all of the technological bit, and we've talked about all of the creative bit, and perhaps we can all you know, shake hands and say, yes, that's okay. There is an economic bit to yeah, it, absolutely. which is, can actually a photographer survive or whatever we are creatives or whatever it is can you survive long enough to be able to protect that golden sea that's that to well, me is the big I'm question asking. who is optimistic that they can survive until uh, 2017 i won't be a commercial photographer then it'll be gone okay let's have a vote and put your hand up if you think you can no, there's, 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 there's age as well as technology <laughs> <laughs> okay leaving so. that aside can you make it to 2017? You can't well, hear. Let's you can't hear people voting. Well, let's you put. Have to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you finish voting, let's put it this way. <laughs> I will still have the same joy of finding out new things and still taking photographs. All right, yes. we're going to vote. We're going to vote. Okay, we've got one, two, three. But we've got a big majority of people that are optimistic they'll survive. And who will agree to turn up here in ten years' time? Yes. 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 With those images. Thank you very much. I've got one very prediction to make in ten years' time. We shall arrive and we'll have shaved heads. We'll have a barcode on the back of it. And underneath will be a card slot.